0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 for our text reading here today. Uh, Over the past several weeks, we've been going through a series of messages that we've entitled Help! I need to change. And I think all of us have been at seasons in our lives where there was something that we wanted to see changed in our lives. And, and maybe for some of us, it was a little bit more surface, you know, something more like our health or our fitness. And maybe for others, it was deeper. It was something in our spiritual walk and our spiritual life. But if we were to be transparent and honest with one another, I think all of us could raise our hands and say, there have been seasons in my life where I have been attempting or I've desired to see something something in my life changed. And so we've been tackling this very difficult subject of how change actually happens. And so this is the question. I mean, how does change take place? And while a lot of uh, different people have different theories, and depending on what self-help book you read, or what pop psychologist you watch on television, you're going to get all types of theories. And so we've just been basically taking the Word of God, and we've been asking ourselves the question, what does the Bible teach about how change actually occurs? And, and the Bible uh, would refer to this doctrine as sanctification. And in seminary, that's, that's what they would teach, sanctification. The process by which we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And, and so we're really studying the doctrine of sanctification, but just to kind of put the cookies on the bottom shelf, we're calling it help. I need to change. And we're just studying the doctrine of sanctification and how change takes place in the life of a believer. And so this morning we're in 1 Timothy chapter number one. Uh, man, I just want to say thanks to all of you sitting on the front row. This is a little unique for me. So this is really, really good. I'm so excited. I've never been so excited in my life. Uh, I tell you what, for a pastor it's very easy to get them all happy and just put a bunch of people on the front row and I'm like ready to go. So uh, I, I will try not to baptize you with too much holy water uh, as we go through this here today, but uh, you guys you, you guys get uh, church members of the day, alright, right here. Inside your service program that you should have received on your way in, uh, there's a little outline that you can use to follow along through our Bible study today. I hope it will be a help to you as we study the Word of God here together. Uh, if you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text today. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter number 1. I'm going to be looking mainly at verses number 7 and verses number 8 as a launching pad and then we'll study uh, the remainder of this passage throughout our sermon. Let me give you some brief background and then we'll dive into our text. Uh, The Apostle Paul has written this letter to his young protege, Timothy Timothy is maybe what you would consider one of his young preacher boys if I could use that term he was a younger man in the faith and so the apostle Paul was trying to pour his wisdom trying to pour instruction trying to help young Timothy grapple with ministerial type issues and so in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 he starts with a greeting and then he dives right into speaking about the law And the purpose of the law for uh, Christianity. And so let's begin in verse number 7. The Apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says desiring to be teachers of the law. He's saying there are those out there and they want to teach the law. But they understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So the Apostle Paul is saying, there's these teachers out here, and they're teaching you about the laws. They're teaching you about the commands of God, the principles of God, and yet he goes on to say, but they do not understand what they're talking about. He says they're confused, all right? So go on to verse number 8. But, we know that the law is good, notice the next word, if... If you're used to circling things in your Bible, I want you to circle that word. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take some time to unpack the role of the law... That is, God's laws, God's commands, God's principles, and what role do those things play in the sanctification of the believer, or or what we might call the change of a Christian. How how does that work? There's a lot of confusion about this, and so we're going to be going into some Romans passages and some others, as the Apostle Paul really unpacks the role of God's law, God's commands, and God's principles in Christianity. right, And so, I want to teach a little bit on this morning of the purposes of both the law and the purposes of grace. They have two distinct purposes, both very important, and we're going to seek to tackle that here today. Shall we have a word of prayer? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you humbly this morning. We recognize in our hearts, Lord, that we have absolutely nothing to offer you. But Lord, you and your goodness and your grace and your majesty, God, have given to us so much. And Lord, we are the recipients of an incredible, incredible grace. The grace of salvation, but also the grace in sanctification and, and spiritual maturity. And so Lord, I pray that there would be some individuals here today that would walk out the back doors, Lord, experiencing a renewing grace in their life. A grace that has the power to change their lives. A grace that has the power to change bad habits. A grace that has the power to change them from the inside out. And may we really understand the role of God's principles and God's law within that context. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And you may be seated. As we have said for several weeks I assume that the majority of us In here today are believers There have been a time in our lives Where we put our faith and our trust In Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ alone to be our Savior We recognized there was nothing we could do To work our way to heaven There was nothing we could do To earn the favor of God The salvation of God We simply recognized that in our sin There was nothing we can do And so God gave us his law And the law revealed revealed that we were wicked, the law revealed that we were sinners, the law revealed that we had no hope, and so we didn't say, oh, i got to try to live up to these laws so I can earn salvation. We recognized, no, those laws crushed us and helped us understand that we needed the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we, we get that for salvation. I don't think anybody in this room was like, okay, I need to be saved, this is what God says to do, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to try to keep all of God's laws and then maybe I'll get to heaven. We understand that salvation is a gift of grace, all right? And I I think most of us would understand that when it comes to salvation and justification. But what we get confused about is the role of law, the role of God's commands, the role of God's principles. Once we already are a believer, once we already are a Christian, then we start seeing God's laws and God's commands and God's principles as all these things we got to do so we can climb the ladder of spiritual maturity. You see, there's a mental switch that takes place. Before salvation, it's God's laws. there to crush me. God's law is there to reveal to me how unrighteous I am. God's law is there to reveal that I can't do it. And it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that I can have salvation. And, and then we get saved and we view the law differently. Something switches in our mind and we start reading the Bible and say, Oh, here's God's law and God's principles and God's commands. Okay, I, I wake up i got to do this and i got to do this and i got to do this and i got to do that. Rather than seeing the law have the same role pre-salvation as post-salvation, and that's what we're going to unpack this morning. We're going to look at God's purposes for both law and grace. So what is the purpose of the law? Let's just start there this morning. If you're taking notes, the purpose of God's laws, the purpose of God's commands, the purposes of God's principles, according to Romans 3.20, here's what the Bible says in Romans three twenty. the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Rome. He says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the Apostle Paul is helping us understand the role of the law in the Christian worldview. The law is given to us so that we might intellectually and academically know what sin is. It doesn't say in this passage, for by keeping the law is the remedy of sin. It does not say that. It doesn't say by keeping the law is the remedy of sin. It says the law is the knowledge of sins. The law shows us, get this, what holiness, justice, and goodness look like. As finite human beings, the law and God's principles and God's commands, it shows us what God's goodness, it looked like. But notice this. Attempting to keep the law in our own strength and in our own flesh cannot make us good. It cannot make us holy. And it cannot make us just. The law does not have that capability. It doesn't have the strength to make us new. Which leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is this. God's law reveals, this is a key word, our brokenness. This is the purpose of God's laws. This is the purpose of God's commands. This is the purpose of God's principles. God's laws reveals, it shows us, it opens our eyes to help us see our own brokenness. To see our own unrighteousness. And at times to even show us our self-righteousness. Have you ever gone to the word of God and God's word exposed your pride? Exposed your self-righteousness? exposed what you were trying to do in your own strength and in your own power. And that's what God's law reveals. God's laws, the purpose of God's laws is to reveal our brokenness. So let me give you a quick definition. The law is simply God's standards of behavior. It's very simple. His laws, his principles, his commands are God's standards of behavior. And when you got saved... None of you got saved and thought, okay, this is God's law. The Ten Commandments and everything we say. Now i got to keep this law and i got to attempt to do that law and i got to do all these things in order to get saved, in order to be justified. All You recognize that the law was like whoa, it was like this weight that crushed you and you realized there's nothing I can do to earn salvation. There's nothing I can do to attain God's free gift. And the law was used to reveal your unrighteousness. It was used to reveal your self-righteousness. It was used to reveal the wickedness in your heart and it crushed you. And in crushing you, it pushed you. It changed your view and helped you see that you needed something than just your feeble attempts at trying to keep the law, attempting to do the law. You need something bigger. You needed something greater. You needed the gospel of grace. You needed Jesus to do on your behalf what you could never do on your own. Law is God's ultimate standard of behavior. You see, the law... Principles and commands of God guide us and show us what godliness is. This is the wonderful thing about God's laws and God's commands and God's principles. They give us a clear vision as to what God's standards actually are. They give us a vision of these things. But let me go on and say this. Just attempting to keep the law in the flesh, just attempting to obey the law, in your own strength, cannot and will not make us good, nor will it make us any more godly. Because just as for salvation, there was nothing you could do to attain your salvation. There is nothing you can do in your own strength and in your own flesh to attain sanctification. You can't change yourself. You can cooperate with the spirit of Christ living his life. You can yield to that and allow him to do in you and through you what you could never do on your own. But you can't change yourself. Rules aren't bad. But rules have absolutely no power to make the heart want to keep them. See that in your notes? Rules aren't bad. But rules have absolutely no power to make the heart want to keep them. I have three children. We have rules in our house. Many of you as parents, you have rules in your house. And rules are, their boundaries are a healthy thing. For children, I think for all of us, boundaries play a very important part in our maturity. But I want to say this. Rules in and of themselves have no inherent ability to make the heart want to keep them. And this is powerful. Only the grace of Jesus Christ can transform the heart and make the life want what God wants. Only the gospel of grace can change the heart from the inside out and make the life desire what God desires. Only the gospel of God's grace can do something inside of you that makes you value What God values. And I'll say this. When you desire what God desires. Because his grace has changed your heart. And you want. And you are motivated by what God wants. And what God is motivated by. And all of a sudden you value what God values. I promise you this. Your behaviors will begin to conform. Into the image of Christ. Because behaviors are simply. The fruits of the heart. And we have a lot of churches. And a lot of Christians running around. And they're trying to change all the fruit. But they wonder why it's not lasting change and they wonder why it's not permanent change is because they are spending so much time and so much energy focused on the fruit and they don't get to the root which is the heart and can I say this you can't change your heart only the gospel of Jesus grace can change the heart he changes you from the inside out the laws, commands, and principles of Scripture, get this, are not the how-tos of Christianity. This is, this is a major paradigm shift here. This is important. When God gave you His laws, and He gave you His commands, and He gave you His principles, He was not giving you the, the how-to of how to attain the perfect spiritual maturity. The, the laws and standards and principles of Scripture are not the how-tos of Christianity. Get this. They are God's absolute standards that reveal our failure... And thus our desperate need for Jesus. God's law was not given so we could try in our flesh and in our own strength to live up to it. Rather, it was given to crush us and remind us how desperately we need God's grace to work through us. That is why God gave us his laws, and that is why God gave us his commands, and that is why God gave us his principles, so we would come to a place where we realize, God, I can't do this. And when I when I try, I fall flat on my face. I fail miserably. I get up and I fail and I get up and I fail. Any of you ever been there in your Christian life? I got it. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I got it. Oh, no, I don't. We got roller coaster Christianity. I'm feeling good. Oh. God's law was not given so we could try in our flesh and our own strength to live up to it. Rather it was given to crush us just like the law was given for salvation. The law is also given for our spiritual maturity to crush us. So we read this book and we say I could never be a, a father or a mother like this book wants me to be. And you get crushed by it my own strength. I could, I could never be the type of Christian that these principles are pointing. I can't do it. it. crushes you. It crushes you to a place of humility and it crushes you to a place of meekness and it crushes you to a place where you're finally in a broken state able to say, God, I'm not good enough to be the spouse you want me to be. I'm not good enough to be the husband or wife you want me to be or the parent you want me to be or the teenager you want me to be or the co- employer you want me to be. God, I I can't because either I'll fail miserably or I will succeed even more miserably I'll I'll get it right on the outside <laughs> see that look what I pulled off folks look what I did <laughs> there's all types of pride and yeah you're pulling it off In your behavior, but because God didn't change your heart, the arrogance that seeps through your pores with every one of your self righteous behaviors literally sabotages the good that you want to see Christ do through your life. You either fail miserably or you succeed even more miserably. So the law comes across and says it's not just about your behavior. It's about your motives. It's about your values. It's about your attitudes. It's about your identity. It's about your worldviews, your thoughts. And God says, the law is so lofty. His commands are so high. Oh, his principles are so just up there that finally we are broken. And we have to come with a spirit of humility saying, God... I'm under such weight of these commands and these principles and these laws. I can't do it and God says, "Yes! Finally, my strength can be made perfect in your weakness." Hallelujah. In that moment, you begin to finally live the Christian life. Christ living the life through you that you are incapable of doing on your own. That is the purpose of the law. You see, the law reveals what our lives will look like when Christ is living his life through us. You know, when I read my Bible and I see the commands and I see the principles and I see God's law, my mind doesn't create a checklist of in the back of my Bible. All right. Read through this chapter. Let me see. Five things that Josh Ermler needs to work on today. Oh, I need to add to this. okay. now oh, I got to do that. You know what I see when I get to this book? God, I'm so broken. God, I could never ultimately live up to your perfect standard of righteousness and God I come before you're broken I know that this is what my life's going to look like if Christ is living through my life but every time I've tried I fail miserably or I succeed even more miserably and so God I see that this is what it looks like when Christ is living his life through me and I want to tell you I can't I can't and there's a humility and a meekness and a humbleness. Some of us. We're trying to use our good works to get to heaven. That's legalism. If you are here today. And you are depending on your church membership. Or your good works. Or your baptism. Or some. You give money to a nonprofit organization. And you see that. As your means to heaven. Can I say this? You're a legalist. You are depending upon your own works. To get you and earn you a place in heaven. Now. For a believer, if you are depending upon a specific moral standard and if you feel spiritually mature and you feel spiritually postured and positioned because you keep a certain moral standard, you also are a functional legalist. Because your moral superiority, your spiritual maturity is not anchored to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Rather, you have anchored your feelings of spiritual maturity on something that you do. Rather than what Jesus has done in your place. One is a theological legalist. The other is a functional legalist. Your sanctification is anchored entirely. To what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. If you right now in your spirit. you you, You get your. You get your feelings of spiritual maturity from what you've accomplished. And you know you're spiritually mature because look what I've done. And I know I'm spiritually mature, look who I am. You're a legalist. Because you are anchoring your feelings of spiritual maturity to something you have done. And spiritual maturity is not about what you have done. Just like in salvation, it's all about what Christ has done on your behalf. The biggest problem with legalism is that it isn't legalistic enough. We got some people in here and you're like, yeah, see, I've arrived. Look what I do. I do this and this and this and I dot my I's, I cross my T's, I walk the walk, I talk the talk. Look at me, I'm ready to go. And I'm here to say this. Your view, it's not, your legalism isn't legalistic enough because you actually think you can do it. You've lowered God's standards and God's laws and God's principles. You've lowered them. You've redefined them to a level that you can pull off. Your legalism isn't legalistic enough. But when you get God's bar so high and his laws are so lofty and his principles are so mighty you've got to come to a place where you're like God there's no way I can pull this off when it comes to my behavior and my attitudes and my motives and my thinking and collate all this together under the weight of that I'm crushed it's only in that moment that you're finally able to experience grace for God resists the self-righteous proud. But he gives his grace to the humble, to the meek, and to the broken. God doesn't need more of Joshua and And God doesn't need more of you. He needs more of himself. His life. Living through you. That is The spirit filled life. God's laws and principles and commands. What are they there for? What's their role? They have one major role. As you study scripture. Here is their role. To reveal your brokenness. God's laws reveal how you're broken and it reveals how you're wicked and it reveals how you're not put together. And if this rubs you the wrong way, you might need to get on your knees and say, God, forgive me of the self-righteous pride that exists in my life right now. Because I, t- I see law as something I can pull off. Unless you're in a broken, meek, humble place... It isn't God's grace that's empowering you. It's you. And you may think you're doing really well, and you might at the very moment be ostracizing your spouse with your self righteousness. And you might be making division between you and some other member in this church because everything you do is so laced with arrogance. And you're doing everything right. Absolutely wrong. Self righteousness, pride. And so the laws and God's principles and God's commands come to crush you of that. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians not having mine own righteousness, which is attained by keeping the law, but having the righteousness which is of God. Here's the word by faith. Our righteousness is not by our works. Our righteousness is not by our efforts. Our righteousness is not by what we've attained. He says our righteousness. He says not having my own righteousness, which is attained by keeping the law. But having the righteousness of God, which is by faith. You know how you experience transition. You know how you experience real life change and lasting change. You by faith simply believe what God says about you to be true. You believe that Christ indwells you. His spirit empowers you. And he has made you a new creature. And sometimes you don't act like it. And sometimes you don't behave like it. But it is still who you are because of the blood of Christ. And you say to God, God, I believe that is who you have made me to be. I declare that what your word says is absolutely true. And by faith, I accept that reality by faith. Because you say so. His righteousness by faith. Not by effort, not by works, not with self-discipline. By faith, by simply agreeing with God. See, we all, we totally get this when it comes to salvation. Every there's not a person in here who's struggling with this paradigm when it comes to salvation. All of you are like, yes. There's nothing I can do to get to heaven. I can't. The law wasn't there so I could live up to the Ten Commandments absolutely perfectly and get my way to heaven. And you're like, I know that. But then all of a sudden we talk about the gospel for sanctification like we dealt with last week, and now it's rubbing you the wrong way. You get it. You've just been conditioned to think something anti-Bible for so long. That it starts with Jesus. He's the author of the faith, but I'm the finisher of it. Wait a second. Hebrews, I think, says something different. God is the author and finisher. He starts it and he ends it. He both gives us the power to will and to do of his good pleasure. He literally creates the desires, the will, and he gives us the ability to do it. It's all about Jesus, and it's not about you. You see, though, self-righteousness gives you spiritual jollies. (laughs) We've all experienced them, right? Ah, pulled that one off, I think. Feels pretty good. You think you're pulling it off. You have deceived yourself into think you're pulling it off. But as much as it is in your strength and as much as it is in your power, you have failed. You are a modern day Pharisee. And I have been, at many times, a modern-day Pharisee. <laughs> Look what I've done. Why can't they? And I'm the this is so easy. Look, why, why can't they do what I'm talking about? Why can't they do what I do? And all along, there was no brokenness, no humility. There was a critical spirit, a judgmental attitude, and a comparison mentality that sabotaged all the good that my sincere heart may have wanted to to accomplish. God's law. You want to know why did God give us his law? To reveal something broken in you. That is the purpose of God's law. Which leads us to our next thought this morning and that is this. While God's laws reveal our brokenness... Only, only God's grace heals our brokenness. So, law is God's perfect standard of behavior. That's what God's laws is. It's His perfect, ultimate standards of behavior. And God's grace is literally God sending Jesus to fulfill those standards in your place. Hallelujah! That's grace! Jesus coming down in His perfect life, Fulfilling the standards for your salvation. But he didn't stop there. When he ascended to heaven. He said I'm going to give you something better than my physical body. I'm going to give you my spirit. Because my spirit living in through your capacities. Living in through your members. Is going to revolutionize the future of all humanity. Jesus didn't ascend up to heaven so he could look down. And just kind of say okay you do that and you do that and you do that. And you do all those things. No he ascended so his spirit could descend. Take up residence to live the Christ life through us he doesn't want more of you he wants more of him through you and the reason you're up and down and up and down and up and down is because you're trying to do it yourself if I were to bring a bunch of weight benches up here and say start pumping You would, in the flesh, you would pump for a while and pump for a while. Then, depending on your backgrounds and depending upon your health and depending upon how you're wired, all of us at some point we'd have to stop pumping. Now, some of us who are a little bigger, a little stronger. (laughs) I'm just. Hunt said, "I think that was self-righteous." Yes, it was. I'm sorry. Maybe some of us will be like, oh, look, we're going longer than everybody else. Ha ha ha. I must be more. I must be better. Eventually, we're going to fail. Eventually, our, fail, our strength is going to give out. And then we'll rest for a while in our flesh. All right. OK, I have got to do it again. And that's what most of our Christian life is like. We go as long as we can until we're just exhausted by it. And then we stop. We look around. We feel guilty at a sermon. OK, let's go at it again. And then we're tired again. You know, most of our spiritual experience is basically that you know why because it isn't Jesus it's us and and (laughs) it's why we fail because Jesus never fails see the laws to crush us and just finally help us to realize you we don't got it we got to come to a point where all are dotting our I's and crossing our T's and walking the walk and talking the talk isn't ultimately what it's about. It's ultimately about Jesus. When we focus on the roots, when we focus on the hearts, finally we're in a position where God can say, now I can do the real thing through you. And and to some degree it might actually look very similar to what it looked like when you were doing it on your own. But the heart, the motives, the values... The attitudes, the worldview will be totally, radically revolutionized. And that makes all the difference. God's grace heals our brokenness. Romans chapter number 10 verse 4 says it this way. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Notice this. To everyone that believeth. Jesus says, I've done it. I've fulfilled it. Rest in me. Put your faith in my imputed righteousness on your account. See, we're Christians when it comes to our salvation. And then we're functional, practical atheists every moment after salvation. Christ is the end. He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I love this quote. Religious behavior might make you nice. But only God's grace will make you new. In fact it was Hebrews chapter number 7 that says the law it makes nothing perfect. Even the apostle Paul said in the book of Hebrews the law doesn't make anything perfect. Why? Because it's not supposed to. You trying to live out the law and live out the commands and live out the principles won't make your marriage perfect. It won't make your parenting perfect. It won't make you as an employee perfect because that's not what the law does. It simply reveals that you're broken. That is its purpose. To crush you, to reveal to you that you are not enough and you will never be enough. But praise. God for the grace of Jesus who is always sufficient. Who is always enough. And in every moment of humility and every moment of meekness and every moment of brokenness, you can go to him and say, God, I can't. But you can through me. I won't take a whole lot of time. A couple years ago, I, I used an illustration. I don't know. Some of you might remember this. And I, I dressed up as a doctor up here. and was, I, was, I was like doctor. And one represented the law. And I was another doctor. And that doctor represented grace. And, and law. He, he, was a, he was a general practitioner. He could, he could, this doctor law, he could show us where our sin was. He could show us how we were broken. He could show us how we weren't all put together. But then if I were to go to that doctor and say, God, doctor, now fix me. General, Dr. Law, Dr. General Practitioner would say, I can't fix you. I I just can show you what's wrong. Well, what do I do? You've got to go to a specialist. Well, doctor, what's his name? His name's Dr. Grace. Go to Dr. Grace. And so I went, go over to Dr. Grace, got on the other coat, and Dr. Grace says, I can fix you. As you humbly approached me and recognized, Dr. Law showed you you had a problem. He was the the general practitioner that showed you had an issue. But grace, he's the specialist, the surgeon that can remove the sin, remove the cancer, and make you new. That's what he does. See, the law discovers the disease. Grace provides the remedy. Don't confuse the two. You will get into massive theological confusion if you get this off. God's law diagnoses sinners. God's grace delivers sinners. They both are important. They both have a place. But the moment you see Dr. Law as being the one who can cure you, if I can just keep all these laws and keep all these principles and you attempt to do all these things, you will fall on your face every time and you'll fail miserably or even worse, you'll fail, you'll succeed more miserably. It is the law that discovers the disease of sin and it is grace that provides the remedy. Now, I must caveat this. Give me 1 minute. God's grace justifies sinners. But God's grace never justifies sin. Grace grace comes along and it always forgives sin. But grace never justifies sin. Grace says this. Grace comes along and says sin isn't good. Grace comes along and says sin isn't right. Grace comes along and says sin isn't healthy. Grace comes along and says sin isn't best for you. But grace also says sin can always be forgiven wow when we humble ourselves before the almighty God there is nothing you can do that can outrun the reach of God's miraculous grace praise God so what is the purpose of God's laws his commands and his principles they are simply to reveal our brokenness that's, that's all they're good for this is why when you tell your kids to do something, it doesn't inspire them. It's why your rules don't make them feel oh I can do it. It doesn't motivate them. Because rules don't have that ability. Rules just reveal what needs to be done. It reveals what Christ would want to do through us. It reveals how we can't ultimately when we have a high standard of God. God's laws, His commands and principles reveal our brokenness. But only God's grace can heal us from the inside out. And this is how change begins to happen, folks. When you humble yourself and realize, I can never, I can never, be, the, I can never be as fit as God maybe would desire for me to be. And I could never do this under my own strength. And I can't. You humble yourself and you bro- come broken and meek before the throne room of God. Say, God, I can't. But you, you have imputed unto me all righteousness. You have given me all I need for life and godliness. God promises it to you. He said, you've already got it. Now by faith, live in light of that reality. Humbly, meekly, broken by faith. Recognize you don't, need to work. You don't work for victory. You work from victory. You've already got it. And by faith, live in light of that reality. Mike Horton, an author, in a, in a book entitled Does Justification Still Matter?, a, a book on salvation and justification. He, he, he made this statement and I found really interesting. Especially in the context of our talk. And I'm going to throw this on the screens because I want you to see this. I think this is really important to end our sermon with. Most people in the pew, and he's talking about church people. Are not hearing teaching on the gospel for sanctification. Mostly they hear the gospel for salvation. Now here's the problem. Rather what they are getting is legalism. He's saying most churches, the people in the pew, are getting legalistic sermons. Either with the stern rigor of an unhappy fundamentalist, (laughs) spitting, mad and angry, either with the stern rigor of an unhappy fundamentalist, or, on the other hand, seven happy tips for better living from a hip and trendy progressive pastor. (laughs) Now notice what he says. Both of these extremes... However, keep the sheep looking to themselves for progress rather than looking outside of themselves to Christ. And therein lies the problem. Can I say this? Those two extremes are actually the same. See, we look at him and we see, oh, this, he's so, look at so trendy and they're so cool. They must be doing something ungodly. This guy, is, he looks old fashioned and mad. He must be right. <laughs> or vice versa. This guy looks so happy. He's just filled with the Spirit of God. He must be right. That angry guy, he, something's wrong with him. And you want to say this? They're both the same. They're the same. Their frosting may look a little different, but as Mrs. Hubney would know, cake maker, the cake's different. The cake's the same. Frosting? Yeah, it looks different on the outside. Inside, it's exactly the same. And this is as a pastor, I look at it and you know what? I'm like, you're both the same and you're both wrong. You don't need another how to do something in your flesh. Here's why. You can't. And I'm sorry to insult you with that reality. But those of you who have been around long enough, you know deep down it's true. You see, and I want to encourage you about this when it comes. Some of you are going to move in the future. Five, ten years down the road, you'll move to a different city. Your job will move you. You'll have grandkids and you'll follow grandkids. And you're going to have a moment where you're going to have to start looking for a church. I want to teach you something. Don't go in and say, Well, I'm looking for somebody that looks old fashioned and angry. That's, what, that's good. <laughs> and don't be, No, well, we know that's not right. I'm looking for somebody who just seems to just have so much, they're just smiling all the time. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying, but they're happy about it. <laughs> it's, it's not about the frosting. Because though this one may have bright lights and cool instruments, and this one may look like they're from 1945, they're the same. Same cake, different frosting. The problem is most of us Christians don't care about the cake. We care about the frosting. Because our hearts have never been changed by the gospel of grace. And here's what I'm saying to you today. Performance-based teaching. Teaching that stands up and says, do this and do this and do this and do this. Or, or here's just seven happy little tips for you today. <laughs> Thought of something funny I might tell you this morning. <laughs> If you do these seven little tips, <laughs> your life will be wonderful. <laughs> I'm here to say this: it's the same. It's just got a different veneer. Performance-based teaching does not fight carnality; it facilitates it. It inevitably encourages self-absorption. Oh, what I got to do here? What I got to do there? What I rather... Than fighting self-abandonment. Can I say this? The Christian life isn't about you. It's about Jesus. Focus on him. Get to the roots. He'll take care of the fruit. The traditionalism of many churches is destroying them. You say, how? Not because they're uncool. Okay? I don't want you to, unhear, don't, I want you to hear something that's not getting. The traditionalism of a lot of churches today are killing it. And not because it's uncool. But because many believe in those churches that their version of traditional is the litmus test for true godliness, and unfortunately that form of legalism is actually a counterfeit gospel which eventually sabotages itself. It's a counterfeit gospel, it's a gospel that says Jesus for salvation and you for sanctification. And they might not say that because that just wouldn't be cool. But you listen long enough to the preaching. And that's basically what it is. All right. Let's open it up. All right. Do this number one. Do this number two. Do this number three. (laughs) Okay. You go do that. You're going to be a great Christian this week. We don't have a behavioral problem. We have a heart problem. And only the gospel of Jesus' grace changes the heart. Will the behavior change? Absolutely. But by just focusing on it, we're walking down a path of self righteous, haughty, arrogant pride that will eventually implode on itself and never produce lasting heart change. And I want to say this as we end. I have had many times where I've fallen into a moralistic mindset. I hate to admit it, I've even preached moralistic sermons behind this pulpit. Well-intentioned, but ignorantly. Thinking that if I just found five more things that our church could do, that somehow we'd get closer to God. Rather than focusing on the God that makes those changes in us and through us. I believe grace is more powerful in creating change than law. Because God says so. It's not that I don't like the law. It's just. It got, it's got to be used for what God meant it for. To expose. To reveal. To show us. But if we stay there at Dr. Law's office too long. Expecting him to fix us. Or worse yet. Say well Dr. Law if you're not going to fix me. Give me that scaffold. Ah, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And we really got issues. Rather than running to Dr. Grace's office and saying I'm broken. Dr. Law told me so. And I need grace. I need you to do in my heart what I can't do on my own. So here's the question. What is God's laws, commands, and principles revealing to you right now. That you need to take to God's throne room of grace for fixing. What is it about you right now that God's laws, His commands, His principles are revealing to you about an area of brokenness? And rather than in the flesh trying to attempt to live up to those things, keep all those things, ah, I can do it. No, you can't. Take them humbly and brokenly to the throne room of grace. Say, God, I know everything I try to do is going to fail. I realize your grace is enough. You can change me from the inside out. And when you change me, I will not glory in it. Because I will realize that it is all of your grace. And I will glory in you and you alone for the healing that you brought. And the change that you developed. That is the role of the law in the life of the Christian. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.